You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and my guest today is the brilliant comic and actress and performer of herself, Lucy Beaumont, uh, who is most known for her role on Meet the Richardsons, uh, in which she co-stars with her real-life husband, John Richardson. Um, and she's known as the writer and creator of To Hull and Back and the co-writer on Channel 4's Hullraisers. She is about to embark on her 2023 stand-up tour. You can get tickets at lucybeaumont.co.uk and you can follow her socials at Lucy A. Beaumont on Twitter and the one from Hull, underscores uh, in between all those words, on Instagram. Uh, this is a really fascinating chat. We're going to talk about, I mean, one of the, the huge things that came out of this for me is when she's talking about writing um, uh, writing processes for other characters, she talks about letting in spirits. And I was fascinated as to whether she was pulling my leg or whether she was speaking metaphorically. And the uh, the exploration of the answers to those questions is absolutely fascinating. So lots of great stuff to come. Uh, we've got 15 minutes of extra content available exclusively to the Insiders Club, including Lucy's experience with ADHD and the impact it's had on her career. A really interesting insight into how to think about jokes and some more uh, info on how she's preparing for her tour. All of that can be found at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders by supporting the show with a minimum donation of £2 a month, for which you get ad-free episodes and all the other extra content. Now, let's get into this conversation with the brilliant and very funny Lucy Beaumont. Thanks for joining me, Lucy. Lovely to welcome you to the show. This is us starting, by the way. I've launched from chat into officially starting. How are you doing? I'm good, yeah, very well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm really well, I'm really well. Are you at home? I'm in my cellar. Are you really in your cellar? I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit it's a bit lacking in actual daylight. I've got to do something clever with a door with glass in it or something because it's a bit well, that, depressing. That is that's what a cellar is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> It'd um, be an underground conservatory if it was light, wouldn't it? That's true. And I've never heard the term underground conservatory before, and that seems particularly you. <laughs> um, how is comedy treating you at the moment? Oh, it's treating me well at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I could I could do a full shop at Marks and Spencer's if I wanted to. <laughs> you've, uh, <laughs> I think you've interpreted that question as being, how are you doing financially out of Oh, uh, right. Well, that's what it is, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, this is, I'm only in it for the money. <laughs> <laughs> you're in quite a strange position, I think, at the moment. You're quite an unusual position in that you're preparing to go on tour in the autumn. And it's yes. a, it's a stand-up show. Yes, yeah. And you are, I know you as a stand-up. I think we met each other years ago in sort of like uh, late 2017, 18, 19, something like that. Um, yeah. But, um 
but you haven't been you're not known for stand up since then have you been like you're known for being funny in a wide variety of other formats writing and uh, your book which i've read some of is really really funny and obviously make the richardsons all of this stuff so most people who are in your position kind of fame wise your profile and able to tour at that kind of level would have like maybe a more regular kind of stand up basis behind them so i'm interested yeah. in how you're approaching that how you feel about that Oh, well, yeah, I mean, that. it's nice to go, it's nice to be back doing it. Like you say, I wasn't. And, and really, over the last few years, the only gigs I've done are, are, are charity gigs. Um, but but I am, a, I, that's what I started out as, you know, as a stand-up. Um, and there were, I think there was lots of reasons why i haven't done that as regularly i mean the main one is being a mum you know and really letting um sorry Stu, my phone's going yeah no bar, bar me um i don't actually need this phone on do i no Just you don't you don't record no, no. it i'm going to turn yeah. it off because it's sorry um shall i go back <laughs> <laughs> yeah sure yeah yeah come, come in again or whatever i mean you were saying um stand up is how you started yeah yes Stand up is how how I started out, and it's nice to yeah be back feeling like a comic. And there's there's lots of reasons why I've took such a big hiatus. Really, um, mainly that I, that I had a daughter, you know, and I I I, I, I I I sort of consciously stopped doing stand up when we knew we were trying for a. a a baby and I and I started to try to get good at writing so that I could be at home really more um and I had a love-hate relationship with stand-up I, I I came into stand-up at a time when the sexism and misogyny was unbearable it was it was preventing me doing my job properly mm. and some of that was like culturally at the time but a lot of that was it it got into my head I just believed everyone I'd ever heard tell me that women aren't funny and I could sabotage gigs and I became so nervous and now it, it's a totally different landscape I don't of course you've got a few you know men who like to catch carp on a weekend telling younger women that they are funny. <laughs> they all like to catch carp. There's something about <laughs> men who catch carp don't find younger women funny. Um, but mostly it's fair game. And, and, and maybe not. I mean, I'm speaking on behalf of what maybe I'm not speaking on behalf of young female comics because I don't really know their experience. But it it, it seems to me like it's a bit easier and and of course I, I'm, I've done a bit of telly so again it, people are coming to watch me because of me whereas I started out comedy where you know I'd, I'd walk onto stage and even before I opened my mouth half the audience would get up to get a drink or go to the toilet or put their head down and they just thought before they'd even let me begin that I was going to be bad um you know so that's that's the difference but it, it it got to me really where I just I just lost my bottle for it really was there a particular kind of trigger point was there a particular gig or experience where you thought sod this I'm not doing it anymore or was it sort of a long slow accumulation of negative 
experiences? The yeah, the the um, it was the Leicester Mercury competition, which, as you know, is quite a, it's not quite a prestigious one, isn't it? Really, with with comics, um, and uh, Ramesh won very deserved. You know, he he, he should have, like um, you know he was amazing, and he'd waited his time. I mean, as as you know, Rock. Ramesh had been gigging a lot a while, you know, and he was so ready to start, you know, obviously went stratospheric. Um, but yeah, that competition, it was me and it was all, every other act was a man. And what it was, it wasn't Ramesh winning. It was um it was the review. Um I, and again, I, obviously I won't say the reviewer. Again, a, re- a viewer, everyone who knows comedy knows really well. And he reviewed the gig and I was in tears because I'd had a blinder. I'd had an absolute blinder. It was one of the best gigs I'd done. And he he described all the lads. He, he described the type of acts they had and the type of comedy. And with me, he only described what I looked like. Oh he could have been describing anyone, just someone off the street. By reading it, you wouldn't have even known I was doing a stand-up. And it was that I was like elfin, but fairly pretty and probably got, you know, probably going to go on to do TV because she's fairly good looking. And I I just, I was more upset about that than like the heckles of people shouting, you know, get your tits out or, you know, or like promoters that whisper in your ear, look, if it goes badly, just do five minutes and get off but don't say that to the men I don't know there was something about that and I think because I had done I'd done such a good gig and then it was it was followed up by I went to do a gig somewhere um and a local radio it was BBC as well a BBC local radio interviewed me before I did it and the first question they asked was do you think women are funny as men and it had been like a topic on on like actual BBC that yeah. that day that they'd ran with because this is back like 2011 so it was like just a lot of those things all grouped together but for some reason that Leicester Mercury and I, I I I wrote I emailed him and was you know really angry and he, he deleted it offline you can't find it mm. um so he obviously knew it was wrong but but wouldn't apologize you know wouldn't as I said I want you to apologize it's not fair you know but yeah, so it was for me. It was I just was like, maybe I'm not as funny as men. Maybe I'm just never going to be as funny as as any male stand up. So why don't I just stop and and have a baby and stay at home and write? And the thing, one of the things that's so kind of tragic about that is that you're we're only hearing that story from you because you've been able to find another route to keep going like you didn't you you stopped but you paused and now you're going to come back and the landscape is very differently i wonder how many people have been in that position and stopped and just gone on and done something else and they didn't stay within the comedy world they didn't stay kind of writing and then they they weren't afforded the opportunity to come back and actually reflect on that from the perspective of a, a much more different power and a much more different profile so it's like, you know what I mean? Like we're, I'm hearing that and I'm just, because it is, okay. I hope it's such a different landscape now, that feels like a, a story that I'm like, it's awful to hear, but there is a note of hope now in that, oh, I feel like it's really different now in as much as I get to 
absorb any of that. Like you said, there's loads, there's so many more female comics breaking boundaries that have been for years. But what strikes me is like, oh, Jesus, that's like I haven't heard that story for a while. And how many people will we never hear that story from? Because it was so shit at the time that they they quit. Yeah, and it, and it's it, it's to do with the landscape. Like, I think as well, also because we we have needed more female comics. I think sometimes I think it happened with me where you sort of get plucked a bit too early as well. So you you you're not learning your craft, and I do see it a lot with female. I think I know you want to be. You know you you want to take some couple aside and say I know you want to be on telly, but you're not ready. You know, take it from me. I started doing telly before I was ready. I'm only ready now. Like, literally, this last year, if I'm totally honest. And if I'd have come along now, but, you know, I'd, I'd, it, can, it can also, that can put you off, that you start telly too early. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm just, I mean, this is what, you know, I'm going, doing a tour. I'm sort of learning the craft now because you sort of do get very busy with other things and you stop focusing and you know I see a lot of my peers and I think how the hell have you had time to write a show because you're on telly every week (laughs) you you haven't lived you've just you've got to have lived a bit you know so I think I think I think the major um I think I think the major sort of agencies and managers I think can sometimes work comics too much I think a good manager should say don't do this go and live a bit because you're yeah. you're a stand-up and yeah yeah know. but then we all know there are kind of management styles which are hoover everyone up chuck them out there see what sticks and then go with them do you know what I mean rather than that kind of like as you're describing that sort of n- nourishing nurturing kind of approach yeah yeah and I do, yeah and I think there's something if, if you've waited 10 years to start earning good money you, you just want to say yes to everything mm-hmm. you know um but yeah so I think it's a mixture of the two it was definite terrible prejudice and sexism and also you know sort of yeah exposing people before they're ready I think that it's those two things yeah yeah it's interesting when you say you just feel ready now what are the what are the elements that go into that like what what is what is it that you have now that you didn't have before I imagine there's lots of things but let's can we just talk about some of those yeah, like I haven't, I don't know, like I'm not, I don't know. I, I, do you know, everything I say in my head, there's another voice saying, <laughs> you're not funny. <laughs> you still think, well, I was going to say, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm no less, I'm no more funnier than I was before. I just feel like, I, I just relaxed a bit, to be honest, and just feel I can be myself a bit more on, on things. I think that's what it is. And not just being so terrified and just being completely sometimes just feeling completely out I've been felt completely out of my depth I think uh, you know and that maybe you know I don't have that that sort of you know I'm I'm, I think it's amazing how some performers just have this sort of natural confidence you know and you think you've only been going two years how are you this confident at live at the Apollo like yeah uh, and I I, but that's not me you know I, I I still get you know terribly nervous and still question if if I'm good enough to to take people's time up you know because that's really what you're doing you 
you're, that's time that those people are never going to get back. <laughs> it feels like a massive weight on your shoulders. Yeah. But then th- th- there is something whereby like you are really loved as a comic and as a comic voice like you know there's you know youtube collections of lucy beaumont's funniest moments and stuff do you know what i mean like people really value your comic voice and and the the genuineness the authenticity of that voice and i think part of that is that you are unafraid to point out that you're afraid yeah maybe yeah i try not to, it, it's such a weird i mean a uh, I do, yeah. I think the the only thing I can sort of positively say about myself is I do feel I am very down to earth. It's just I don't try to be. I just don't know how to be <laughs> anything else. But because of that, this whole world still is very odd to me. I, I I can't sort of think about it too much because it's just mad, you know, like to be on telly and people know who you are and it's yeah. It, yeah, it's. I can't think about it too much. So I can't. <laughs> I can't sort of reference. I don't know what my profile is like, and I don't watch anything I've done, and I don't like to look at anything on YouTube. And so, yeah, it, <laughs> it's a very odd one. I'm still getting my head around it, really. So this is Lucy. I mean, listen. There are many, many reasons to have Lucy on your podcast. She's brilliant. She's funny. She's candid. She's wonderful. But also, it's just a joy to listen to her voice. And I terribly, I really do apologise to everyone in Hull for whom it's a completely normal accent. And uh, I'm sorry for my uh, southern-centric... I don't want... Do you know what I mean? You don't want to cutify anyone by going, oh, look, listen to a lovely voice. But, it, I mean, it's not just the Hull accent. It's such a good voice. Isn't it a great voice? So more from Lucy in just a second. We're going to talk more about her writing style and her processes. Plus, we have these incredible stuff coming up uh, on letting in the voices of spirits in order to help her write characters. Um, And we are also, towards the end of this episode, we are going to discuss some of the the prejudice and the misogyny that she's experienced and and that she's seen around on the comedy circuit. So some serious and very uh, important stuff to talk about there. All coming up in just a second. 15 minutes of extras on the Insiders Club at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders, where you can get ad-free episodes and uh, all the extra content from every episode that has it. And do remember, go to lucybeaumont.co.uk in order to... I've got a link here and I don't believe it, so I'm just going to go with the the homepage, lucybeaumont.co.uk, where I'm sure you will find a link to find out more about her Trouble and Strife tour, which is happening in the later part of this year. Anyway, let's get back to this conversation with Lucy Beaumont. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We were talking about stand-up and having paused it for a long time, the landscape having changed. You're returning to it now. Are you doing warm-up shows now for the tour? Is the tour show written? How do you work as a stand-up? Where are you with that? Well, I, I like... I mean, I, 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 again, because 
maybe where I was from, I didn't go and watch live stand up. I, 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 I had a quite a weird way into it. I had a Billy Connolly video and I had an Eddie Izzard video. That's all I had. And that's all I'd seen. I'd never been to see live comedy. And I just, and I, I've talked about it so many times we were so, about this bloody crow landing on my head, but it genuinely was why I, I thought I'll go and try stand up and do a gig. And so my first gig was So You Think You're Funny, he, and my third gig was the final. And so I, they were my first three gigs. And as I say, I'd only ever watched two videos. I had no idea what I was doing. And then all I watched was Les Dawson YouTube videos. So I, 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 I've not... I've not been able to sort of mimic anyone or, or like, you know, get, I think I would have been so much better if I'd have gone to Edinburgh for a few years and saw shows. I think there is a value, though, to having invented it for yourself. Do you know what I mean? There's certain people you can tell, oh, this comic is really in the mould of that particular comic. You can say, this newer comic is a huge fan of James Acaster or a huge fan of Stuart Lee or a huge fan of Victoria Wood. And you can kind of go, oh, they, 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 they know, they've got an idea in their head for what they think stand-up is based on a particular person or a particular style. But I think there's a real value as well in when you see someone and you go, oh, this is interesting, because they haven't seen loads. They're not a student of it. They're just inventing what it is for themselves. Yeah, yeah, I, I think as well. I did. I'd seen Millican. I'd seen Sarah Millican on TV, and that was a quite a big moment because she was northeast and had, you know, I'm sure she would. Mammy said a funny little voice. <laughs> and I've got, I've got a funny little voice. That really helped as well because they hadn't seen anyone that I thought looked, you know, that thing of you've got to see it to be it, or you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, so. In in terms of like how I structure things, I've not really moved from the way I've done it. And I, I like gags. I, I like I, I'm, I, I like I'm old fashioned. I like seventies and eighties, you know, sitcoms. And I like gags. I like so I I, I tend to want to write almost one liners that you know that I, I, what I like doing is taking real life events and, and making making little gags out of them. I don't like to do routines. <laughs> I like the I like to try and keep the laughs, you know, every few seconds. Um and I'm I'm trying to um do bigger routines and I'm I'm trying to to learn the structure more and I, I really want this show to be good you know want it to be good stand-up because I I can write it but I, I never knew how to structure it really and um, so it's nice sort of revisiting um you know and and, and there's so much comment you know like Netflix is like can you imagine like when if, if when we started if we had Netflix like the amount we can see yeah, yeah. from you know around the world you know I mean I was even watching um I went to Tenerife and I was, <laughs> I sat for ages watching because Russian, uh, f- female comic, uh, female comedy, stand up comedy in Russia has really taken off. Okay. Um, and I couldn't understand what they were saying, but the patter, I could tell it was funny. Sure. You know, I just liked hearing it in a, I, 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 I'm, I'm a rhythm person. I'm not so bothered about technique and structure. I like the rhythm of a gag and, and that's why I like sort of, 
you know, almost like one-liners, to be honest. Yeah. Can you just, that's, that's really interesting. And I love the idea of watching comedy in a language you don't speak and recognizing the rhythm. And re- like, I feel like I've done that with some Indian comedy that I've seen online. And I've thought, oh, wow. Yeah. These, these are the rhythms, not that it's homogenized, but there is a, there's a comedy language. Could you, yeah. this, this is a bit putting you on the spot, but could you think of a bit of yours, a stand up bit of yours that particularly illustrates that, that leans into that rhythm, like an old bit maybe, or something that, that you, that you could just talk a little bit more about the rhythm of your comedy and the rhythm. Yeah. Of your I suppose it's like when I, you know, I think the audience seem to like the gags where I subvert it, where it's got a double punchline, you know, so probably the the easiest one is, um, you know, I was in, in London and um, someone said, a man said, where are you from? And I said, Hull on the North East Coast. And he said, say East Coast again. I said, East Coast. And he went, oh, bless you. And he had no legs. <laughs> Um, yes gotcha because so that's definitely an illustration of the rhythmic thing um and also because like what is just to take that joke like the fact of you telling the story the the element that he had no legs at the end and kind of keeping that like could you break down for us what you think is funny about that because i think that's funny obviously that's a great joke that works but like what is what is the the like, is it the information being revealed that way round or is it simply the rhythm or is it the slightly absurd nature of whether or not there's a link between him having no legs and him saying, bless you? Um, it's just because it's a double punchline. So you think, so when I do it, I slow it down a lot. So um, I, I just say, um, and he went, oh, bless you. And then they laugh because they think that's the punchline. Yeah. And then you sit and then you pause. And, and again, I, I like it when you can experiment with how long to leave a pause because it can be a millisecond wrong and it, it doesn't get a bigger laugh. Um, and so, and then, it, and he had no legs and then they're like, ah, oh, and then, you know, they laugh at that because that's the, and then, you know, it, but that just genuinely happened. I wasn't trying to write, but not, not it's a clever joke, but, you know, I wasn't trying to write a twist I, sure. I, it just it just it came out like that and then people were like oh she's wrote a twist of that oh yeah yeah, 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 yeah. i genuinely hadn't not i'm not that clever so in the in the writing of the tour show which is called the trouble and strife um which is touring from is it from october yeah 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 in the writing of that show are you like like that's that's a way I write. I particularly I wonder if it's about the way the shape might you know the way my brain works. I often will try and trick myself into talking as naturally and specifically as possible, not worrying about it being funny, and then notice the bits they laugh at, and then go, oh right, those are the jokes, and then go back and try and elevate those. Right. Do you, yeah. Do you do something similar, or is it not like, what... so much? No, I, I do like try to work out what the what the punchline is yeah but but that but like if it's a double punchline I wouldn't necessarily maybe know that and that I've done a double you know if you know what I mean but no I tend to want to try and write them like I know like um I I think it's amazing people that sort of go on stage with some ideas and then sort of work it out whilst they're on stage I I don't I don't do I don't want to do that that's too scary to me I've I've sort of almost scripted it, you know. Um, okay. Yeah, I think, yeah, I tend to 
because you're because you're a, that. you're a proper writer writer and i'm always to me that's scary it's like god you've written a sitcom i saw the first episode of your of hull razors you know and like you've done proper writing like you've written a book you've written like proper things with proper characters and that completely mystifies me how people can do that because i sort of i feel like i've spent years trying to refine my comic voice and yeah. i wouldn't know how to write in someone else's voice so like what what is it about the um or what have you learned about the difference between writing for yourself and writing for other characters um well it's listening to dead people go on it's it's going in a, a trance where you let spirits talk to you and they they become the characters um and it doesn't happen it's some so in in hullraisers Paula, the rest wasn't. The rest were just made up of like, how does this person, how would I picture this person talking? And sometimes it's really hard. Like sometimes in a script, there's, there's characters, they're, they're unwritten, they're, they're underwritten, you know. And sometimes, you know, you don't know it, but production companies get other writers in just that they go unlisted, unlisted. you know. I, I, like it's, it's this thing of, writers find writing hard as well do you know I think it puts people off doing it and you think everyone can you can it, it, there's no secret formula no one it's just it's really really hard and you will get there but with Paula Paula definitely was a dead person coming through to me I couldn't shut a voice off and her voice was so clear that I, I just think it just was someone who was dead and I was picking up on the energy of them into Hull and back to Hull and Back was written for me. That was a mother and a daughter came through and I was just keeping up with them. That was totally Dead Spirits who wrote that. If I'd have known the name, I would have credited them. <laughs> That's incredible. That's an incredible way of looking at it. To what extent are you using, just so I'm clear, to what extent are you using dead people, in inverted commas, as a metaphor for the creativity coming out of somewhere you don't know where it's from and to what extent do you mean literally dead people no i literally totally 100 percent believe that when you that most writers when you get characters that are fully formed and, and what they call write themselves you have picked up on on spirits that's amazing i've never heard anyone put it like that before I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of writers and I've convinced them that that's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about that. Let's, let's, assume, let's assume that that is empirically true. People have died, their spirits hang around and they see a writer and they go, great, I'm going to get in there and express myself via that writer. Purely as a sort of, from a writing perspective, which doesn't take a position on whether or not it's dead people. What are the, the pros and cons of that? I would imagine, I, my assumption would be that, well, you need to, it, it, do you then have part of your process where you're like, right, I've got to close my eyes and do some deep breathing and let them in. And sometimes they come in and sometimes they don't. Is that is that fair to say? Is that what's the, what's well, the relationship? I, well, I'm all right, because I only want funny people. Obviously, But I mean, you know, obviously if you're writing a, a drama and you, you're picking up on really bad energy, I know writers that, they go in really dark places and it's something they don't talk about, but they've got a dark energy about them. And then you're like, what are you writing? They're like, I've been writing a murderer. And I'm like, you've got, you've got, a, a you know, you've got an evil energy around you. And then I, I'll, I'll take it off them basically. 
You'll tell. How do you mean? I'll tell it to go. Yeah, I've had, I've done that quite a few Are times. Are you pulling my leg, Lucy? I've, no, I'm not. <laughs> 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 so you're you're providing a voice for spirits to write through you and also kind of providing a service of exercising those like exorcising those negative spirits through other writers good the bit i'm i am not at all saying i am a, a pro- prolific writer i do it on a very very low scale but our best writers in history they they're mediums how do you think 1984 was written how could he know all that well, I think he he made it up and was educated. And my my position would be that yeah. he he kind of uh, he dreamt it up. It's a fantasy, and it's a satirical fantasy based on extrapolating, like looking at what's going on around him and thinking, where could this go in a sort of nightmare yeah. scenario? No, he was told he was told right what to write. Stephen King completely taps into a different a, a different energy. You know, they 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 talk to him. They tell him what to write. He doesn't so, even know what he's writing sometimes, you know, he sits well, down I think, and it's just dumb yeah, for him. I mean, I'm a big Stephen King fan. I do know that there are books that he literally doesn't remember writing because he was razzed off his head on coke and alcohol see, at the time. But that's, yeah. when they, that's when they can come through the most, you see, because they're <laughs> in the subconscious. Okay, then what about um, sci-fi writers who are writing about the future? But again, it's still they're still picking up on an energy of, of someone you know is guiding them. I mean, not, not always. Yeah, not always. That's fascinating, and I think whether whether or not like people might be listening to this thinking she's nailed it. I've always thought that, and people might be listening thinking, "Come on, that's I don't believe in any of that." But I still think it's um, you know, from a writing from the perspective of a writer, the idea of and I've certainly spoken to character comics. You'll know um, Colin Holt who does Anna Man who, you yeah. know, really feels like he's, he's sort of, a, there's a kind of spiritual element almost where he's like, I need to let Anna in. And they said to me, there are times when I felt like I didn't let her in and I faked it and I knew and she knew. Um, do you know what I mean? So, um, but, but I think yeah. there's, do you know what I mean? So I think there's, there's definitely, um, there's definitely scope for us to look at what's useful about that as a technique and what's less useful about it. So does that mean mm. that if you, if you got a brief tomorrow, do you want to write on this sitcom in America, a new series of so-and-so, we'd like you as a, a staff writer. Would you be kind of um, deliberately going towards, I've got to, I've got to connect with a, a, a spirit in order to find a character? No, but you, you want, I mean, I, I want the voices to be real I don't you know if you I don't they can't be my voice so that's got to come from somewhere you know sometimes I'll base it on someone you know and if you base it on someone you know then and then it sort of takes on a life of its own in your head but from doing that you know and and you think if you think you know when you begin to try and visualize this you're slowing your breathing down you're sort of in a meditative state that's when you get these inspirations inspirations in your head that, and that's you know I believe that's that's coming from somewhere you plug it yeah. into something even if it is just everything you've ever known up to this point you know um it's yeah. funny how everything stored I, I I think I like I star stuff you know but um I'd, I've never really written I've never read anything about writing I've never read anything about comedy I, I mean I don't think there is enough academia there's there's no academia is they on stand-up or comedy writing it's I, I it, I'm very passionate and very annoyed that it's sometimes seen as the underdog to drama 
because it's easy to make somebody cry it's not it's hard to make somebody laugh um and i don't think they put the money in it as much as they put in with drama and and that annoys me so with the tour what kind of decisions have you made already about about this about the stuff is it a case of like i've got all this stuff and I'm going to fit it like a theme is going to emerge. It's called The Trouble and Strife. Is that to do with it being about married life, or is it going to be to do with your kind of positioning as I'm a wife on top of being a person? It is, yeah. It all hangs over this one um, incident where I made a terrible mistake, but again, it'd come from me thinking someone was being really misogynist and me totally getting the wrong end of the stick. And, you know, because a, a lot of people think I'm, it, it don't bother me at all but um think I was John's wife and I married him and then he got me on a sitcom <laughs> <laughs> and they don't know and a woman stopped in centre parks in the, in the swimming pool toilets she said isn't it nice that he's let you do comedy with him <laughs> <laughs> she was really lovely I was like oh I know it is she was like you're quite good at it as well I was like oh nice she was like yeah like, oh, thinking, you fucking bitch. <laughs> but I was trying to, you know, she didn't know. It's so fine, isn't it? She, yeah. didn't, she, she didn't know. And it, and it wasn't like I'd had a massive, you know, a massive career before him. So why would she not? I wasn't. But, um, but yeah, so it, it it's those two things, really. And it's very much the the change, really, from the, the odd sort of life I have that is still like living in a sitcom, you know, yeah, I wanted to ask about that because the before I saw an episode of Meet the Richardsons, from the outside, it looked because the part of the joke is it's presented as if it's real. So when yeah. you see the adverts, if you see a poster or a billboard for Meet the Richardsons, it looks like it's a genuine a genuine reality show. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it looks like here's two funny not, people. No. But it's not. And then I start watching it and I when I started watching it, I was like, wait a minute. This doesn't make any sense. Why would he be ringing into the station? They must have set this up. And then I was like, oh, oh, God, I'm an idiot. It's all, do you know what I mean? It's all like a really light, I mean, and it's a tribute, I guess, to how light the touch is, that it feels real if you squint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we shouldn't have said, we said it was a mockumentary, so, um, but it's, it's a, yeah, I think we've. I think we'd. I, I think how we packaged it was wrong. I think we should have just said it was a sitcom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It could really confuse people, wound people up. We sometimes get phone calls, you know, from like <laughs> people saying, "What? Can you just tell me what's real and what's not?" It's like, you know, <laughs> it shouldn't matter. But then it's because so a lot of it is. A lot of it is real as well, you know. Yeah. It's not half and half. You know, is it so. is it difficult to navigate that in terms of how? I mean, God, there's so many questions about that when you because all stand ups, obviously, we play a version of ourselves. Yeah. But like you're inviting us into a version of your home and a version of your marriage, and we're familiar with your character as we see you perform. Like it's it's almost like is the you that's on Meet the Richardsons the same you that is on Cats does countdown. It's a character. I think it's a performance. It's a character. Yeah, but it's the same on TV. But I think I'm probably a bit more. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a heightened. In the same way, everyone is a bit, aren't we? I mean, God, a woman stopped me the other day, day now because she was. I was chatting. And she was like, "Why are you still in character now?" She thought the whole thing 
the accent, being from Hull. She thought it was all a character. And she was like, you don't need to be in character for me now. I was like, have you never met anyone from a regional area? (laughs) (laughs) Right. She never moved out of Highgate. So she didn't know it was a real vice. But, um, but yeah, yeah, it's all a heightened version. Yeah. And it's, it is, I mean, we've got, we, we've got a script. It's scripted. Um, so we are acting. Because <laughs> um, it looked, it's we're, interesting. We're acting ourselves. <laughs> it's interesting. It looked to me like, like I could believe that some of it was just improvised based on how it's, well yeah, you know your character. So, you, so it's, are, the, are the, are the kind of the scenarios scripted and then you improvise within them? Or is it all line for line scripted and then you take a run at playing the scene without the script? So, yeah, at the odd occasion, the script just says blah blah blah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like just do just what because and then some, but mostly it has dialogue. But we will improvise round it if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. So we'll use that as a basis, but we'll we'll say what we want and more just to try and get that backwards and forwards banter that. Mm-hmm. You know, especially John, you know, whatever me and Tim write for John, he will always think of something funnier and sharper in the moment. And so that's mainly why we do it, you know, for for John, to be honest. And I will then be able to come back with something not as sharp. (laughs) Uh, But but I'll throw him a curveball. We've sort of worked out what we do. You know, I say something bizarre and he sort of tidies it up. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and, and that and that feels like quite, what's lovely to watch about that is it feels like you've happened upon that in quite an organic way. Like the, the decisions you've made about which stuff to share, which elements of your actual relationship to heighten and to share. It feels like it's as the result of something sort of real and authentic that then you've made the right decisions about which bits of it to heighten. So it, it feels, you know what I mean? Like you could you could imagine a world in which it was heavily written and you decided on some characters and it kind of, it didn't, it didn't work because it wasn't, it wasn't based on the right elements of you. Do you know what I mean? I don't mean of you. You could imagine a different couple, a different comedy couple, not having that same kind of chemistry based on the actual sparkiness between you. As you say, you know, it feels like there's a real part of your relationship, which is based on enjoying annoying each other. Yeah, yeah, and being a bit like, being a bit dysfunctional, you know, it wouldn't work if we were really happy with each. And we're, we're trying to just be honest about what marriage is like. Um, that you know, how can you, if you're saying you're going to be with this person for the rest of your life, how how can that be okay? <laughs> you know, constantly disappointing each other, and then you know getting pulling your socks up and getting on with it that that's what being married is it's it's a lot of pressure to to live with someone (laughs) is is there is there a kind of an almost therapeutic facet to it whereby because you get to complain about each other to each other and make each other laugh about it that it helps smooth some of the edges yeah it's love and we we we've yeah totally Oh, oh yeah it does yeah yeah, it has really helped. More that you just can't be bothered to argue when you get in if you've been filming all day. <laughs> um, I think, and it's funny, some people find it really uncomfortable and like a one-trick pony and like, I just don't want to keep seeing you 
because it is we it, it's it's the whole thing is conflict and other people absolutely revel in it I think it really depends where you're at in your life you know, <laughs> what, what your family's like you know if arguing in my family's love you know that we were like Italian <laughs> it's like <laughs> you know it's like that just you say what you feel you have a massive argument and then you it clears the air yeah. And then you you get on with it, but John's is is very dif- different, you know. He, he internalizes internalizes things, and so it's been good for us both, really. Yeah. And with with Meet the Richardsons, are there elements of your relationship that you've decided not to share? Are there script things? Are there ideas you've had for the script that you've gone, oh, this could go somewhere, and then you've gone, actually, I don't want to do that. That's too much, or it's too personal, or it might. You know, there's a there's a risk that people who don't realise it's made up would think that was real. Is there kind of areas you've backed away from? No, we've overshared. We've shared every <laughs> single facet. I mean, this we're we're filming our fifth series um, in um, you know in in May June, and the fourth series is out sixth of April. Um, you know, um, no, we've 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 overshared. We've shared too much, and we've given away everything. You know, everything that's real. Most storylines come from a real story, and most of the sofa chats are things we've talked about that even that week. You know, and then we've brought it onto the sofa. You know, I've given my mum out. <laughs> my mum had an affair with Johnny. You know, she was with Johnny Vegas. Um, <laughs> you know, she did say to him. Uh, you know, back, back backstage, <laughs> she did say to him off camera, "I will have sex with you, Johnny, if you want me to." <laughs> <laughs> she didn't, you know. Um, we've had everyone in it, all our friends. Our, they're our real neighbours. You know, they they you know they're really in it. Um, so we've we had our daughter in our daughter. It's an actress we've got in in the series that's coming out. Um, it's not our real daughter, but you know we did have our real daughter in it the first two series. So we've we've given too much away. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you have any regrets about that? Do you feel that it's made you vulnerable in any way? Yeah, yeah. I think we've we didn't need, necessarily need to do it. For um, I think yeah, we. I, I, if I could do it again, I wouldn't. No, I would. I keep real things back and just try to make things up. And so you feel like you're not really delving into your real life. Mm-hmm. Um, Sean, Locke, uh, Sean Locke said to John years ago, because he saw, you know, mentored him almost, you know, and had him under his wing. Um, he said to John, don't give your own life away. And John, that, but that's just not how John works. And I think really Meet the Richardsons probably is more of an extension of John's stand-up where John is so honest about, and there's, he's, he doesn't, I've not met a comic who doesn't make anything up. You know, most comics say it's all real, it's bollocks. Most people, nearly yeah. every, I think everyone makes yeah. stuff up. John doesn't make anything up, he, and he manages to find funny things in the mundane. But I think Sean, by the sounds of it, was a bit worried about him, you know, giving everything away. You yeah. know, you, knowing the names of everyone in his family, and you know, with Sean, he was private. Really, no, no one knew the name of his wife and his kids sure. and where he lived, and you know. But um, so I think it's just very, very different ways of approaching things, isn't it? But, really. Before we wrap up, a couple of just quick things. How do you cope when things get tough? When you're stuck with a bit of script, or you have a bad gig? 
all those kind of things. What's your what's your kind of reaction to that? Are you able to shake it off or does it hit you hard? It does, because if you didn't, it, it's because you care. If you didn't care, you've got to you've got to care. You've got to want to do a, a good a good job. I think I've got the experience to know why something's gone wrong, and if it has genuinely been my fault, I do have to sort of have a word with myself and go, you, you let, but you not feel bad and not sort of beat yourself up about it. Of going, you're not perfect. You've let yourself down, but you need to make sure. That when you go out tonight, you do, you know, so being easy on yourself, you're not a robot, you know. Um, and I think being easy on yourself actually helps you do a better job. It makes you more consistent by not trying to be perfect, you know. Um, but, yeah, of course it hurts, yeah. It, it feels such a privileged job to do that if, you, if all you've got to do is make an audience laugh and you don't manage it, it's... I would rather have a knife in my back. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's the what's the thing that you tried in comedy terms? Either the project that you tried or the joke that you tried that you could just never quite get away. A character act based on John Prescott's wife, Pauline Prescott. I had the wig. I had lovely lines. You know, it was quite Victoria Wood. You know, said so I'd. I never dreamt that I'd have an extractor fan at my age. And it was like, <laughs> but it just never, we did it the second series of Live at the Electric. I did it on there and it was so bad that they didn't even put it in the show. I sort of like didn't learn my lines and crumbled and then just hadn't sort of shopped it. I hadn't gigged it enough, but you can't get, there's not many gigs you can do as a comedy, not all gigs allow you on as a character act, you know. Yeah, yeah. I was sometimes having to like go and do a normal stand up routine and then halfway put a wig on and try to do this character. <laughs> <laughs> it never, it just never quite works. And yeah, that Pauline Prescott. What do you think is funny about you? Um, the way I walk. <laughs> That's it's a good that's a good quick fire answer, but it's also a, a guarded kind of an answer. I suppose what I mean is, what do you think it is that people find funny about you, like about your about your nature, about because you're someone who I think of as you've just got funny bones. You're just funny, and I just wonder if you could put a any kind of description or kind of phrasing on that of what you think it is that people are connecting with that they're laughing at. I don't know. I think it, but I think it is the way I walk in my body. I'm not quite in my, my body's not quite right. <laughs> I don't. I didn't realise, but I like. I've got like weird leg. I, I think my legs are arms without fingers. <laughs> and so I think I don't. Maybe look. You know, I'm not like. You know, I'm not like you know five foot eight with long legs. And do you know what I mean? I think I'm, I'm physically. I don't sort of hold myself like I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. What <laughs> it was a really, it was a lovely answer. It's a great answer either way. Um, are you ambitious? I am massively ambitious. Yeah, yeah, I do. As I say, I feel like I've only just got started. That's you said so that a few times. I love that you've got a real kind of day one mentality. Yeah, like, get the next thing go right. Now it's day one. What's next? Yeah, there's so much I want to, it's my, I want my voice, I want to feel, and you know, I want to feel like you, you know, my 
my words and my co- I want a style do you know I want to I'm you know I, I, Carolina Hearn and Victoria Woods I'm still grieving the loss of them and what they would be doing now um I don't feel like they're talked about enough anymore um I don't feel like I'm you know I, I'd like to I'd like to sort of fund a statue for Carolina Hearn um, where she lived, the same for Victoria Wood. I don't feel I feel like they were incredible. We've lost like that's massive. That losing those two female comedic voices. Um, but I, you know, I, I'm I'm not saying I want to. I don't think I'm as 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 talented as them. But I want to feel like I've I've got a brand of humour where you could watch something and say I know that's Lucy Beaumont's yeah. without trying to sound. Like you said, <laughs> without trying to sound a bit aloof, that that is what I want, you know. What will it satisfy in you to achieve that? Um, I haven't. Don't feel like I've had a crack of the whip properly yet. I did, you know. I enjoyed doing the um, to Hull and back was a massive learning curve, and I'm, I'm not writing on the second series of Hull Razors. I wrote on the first series, but that was a very producer led show. Um, I learned so much. It was amazing and worked with incredible people, but it wasn't totally my all mine. You know, I want to work on things where, and now it's only from doing stuff. I want to work on things where I've created the concept and I've produced it and I've directed it and I've cast it, you know, and, and it, to be able to have the responsibility of doing that, you obviously have to work for years. <laughs> Um, but that's what I want. I want complete control, and and I'm not there yet because I've got to learn all these skills. You know, I haven't directed yet. That's something. You know, so I want. Yeah, I want to be able to do it. And obviously, that's incredibly ambitious. That's kind of is that what they call being an auteur? Like when you do everything and it's entirely Wait. your vision. Yeah, it's been a complete control freak and only <laughs> believing that your decisions are the best decisions. And, and and my decisions at the moment aren't the best decisions because I've still got a lot to learn, you know. So at, at least I know that. <laughs> but I'll you... keep working until I really <laughs> do until I really do believe I'm I'm good enough to, to have co- co- control things, yeah. What do you think has most held you back in terms of your nature? In um in comedy, yeah. Um, predatory male behaviour is what has. I've had quite a few incidences oh, where, sorry. if you were in any other, if you were in every any other uh, workforce, you would go to HR or you would, and there isn't one. Um, and I think it's just everywhere, and it's not sort of talked about enough um and it upsets me when I hear about young female comics having the same experiences mm. and it seems I thought it was for a while it was the same like five or six people and now it's not now I could name you sort of 10 15 because of course people talk I mean you know like comedy's got the biggest gossips ever so everybody knows or if you don't know yet the ones I know you will do soon yeah um but it's it's it attracts such um, interesting, passionate, raw, edgy, uh, wounded people. But we 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 don't sort of talk about the fact. It also attracts 
predatory men that are really messed up mm. and sexually have been rep- repressed for years and get a bit of fame and, you know, um, display these behaviours and it just gets covered up. Their agents know and their channels know and no one seems to be doing anything about it. But, yeah, it's massively, it massively as 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 you know as much you know as obviously I've talked about the sexism as well mm. but obviously someone invading your private space is it stays with you and it's just like it's it, you, I, do you know I'd, I've stopped myself I was going to say men don't have to deal with it but they do men do because if you're not that type of man you really hate that other men do that type of thing as well we all have to deal with it but um but yeah, there's there's been times I've wanted to go on Twitter and just let people know all the all the everyone that we talk about that we're not allowed to say. I've just gone this this guy, this guy, this guy, and this guy. They are your your young girls are not safe around these men, and their patrons are charities, and they're paid the biggest sums of money, um, and you can't trust them, you know. It needs ridding of it, 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 how, how long are we all going to just in private say, God, did you hear about so and so? Oh, that they done that again. You know, we we know who they are. There's there's no room for them. They're not that good anyway. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's not I mean, like people people go on Twitter and sort of people suggest people without you know people in our industry suggest names without naming names and then all the comments underneath will be like well you know name and shame name them then and you're like you're you're sort of legally prevented you're legally responsible and you can be done for slander if something's not proved or so there's no there doesn't seem to be any recourse other than sort of so-called whisper networks whereby people can get i mean i with other male comics friends of mine i've not done it for a while but i'd meet and go hey so who's on your list who else do i need to worry about to try and foster amongst male comics the same thing that is is naturally endemic amongst female comics, where you have to meet and say, you know, who have we got to be? Have you heard the latest person, the latest addition to the list, the latest person we've got to worry about? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's just, it's one of them things, but, you know, it, it's just, an, you know, when you ask me that question, what's prevented you? It's like... How many? Who else? You know, I don't want. I don't want this to be a problem for any other, anyone else. Mm. I want it stopping. You know, but for like you say, it's not that easy. But it, it's just important, even like this, just to be frank. You know, I was going to make up something in my head, and I thought I'll just be honest with you because that it has really, mm. it has really set me back. You know. Thank you for that, Lucy. Let's let's end on a on an upbeat note that kind of honors uh, how positive yeah. this situation is how positive your personal situation is now and that honors the fact that you have not been beaten by these kind of experiences and that you have that you're kind of that you have thrived regardless um what is the what is the contribution to comedy of which you're most proud whether that's a joke an idea a look a moment what's the thing that you what's the thing that you hold in your heart most Oh, in terms of like a moment. In terms, in terms of anything, just something in comedy that you think, well, I'll always, I've always got that. Oh, I think it's to, to Hullenbach. It's the series I, I wrote on Radio Four, and you know, I'm so proud of it. And uh, the, there's just this one line where they're they're in a <laughs> they're in a French restaurant, and um, she's Jean. The character is 
Uh, she didn't really, she's out of a deck and she didn't know what to order. And uh, she ordered a main course and the waitress says, entrees. And she says, oh no, just some plates will be fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, it, very silly and old fashioned. It's just our like a comedy. Love it. <laughs> and my men. that's a double punchline to finish off (laughs) structurally satisfying thank you so much Lucy have a fantastic time on the tour and I look forward to the new series of Meet the Richardsons oh thank you ever so much So that was Lucy. Bit more stuff with her, maybe 15 minutes or so are on the Insiders feed at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders if you would like to join that with a small donation. Um, but remember, don't miss Lucy's tour at the end of this year, 2023. It's the, called The Trouble and Strife. And you can find out all of your details from lucybeaumont.co.uk as well as all of her social handles. You can find out everything you need to about the podcast at comedianscomedian.com or my own projects at stuartgoldsmith.com, including my new work in the fields of resilience and personal sustainability. That's right, I'm doing a comedian saying the unsayable about the climate crisis and helping your directors of sustainability to recharge their climate messaging. So if you're the sort of person or organisation that has or knows a director of sustainability, give me a shout via the contact forms at stuartgoldsmith.com. Exciting stuff there. And of course, come and see me in Edinburgh. Can't believe I didn't hammer that earlier on. Uh, From stuartgoldsmith.com, you can find your links to come and see me at 3.20pm in Monkey Barrel 1 every day throughout August, apart from the 16th. It's going to be fantastic by then. Of that, you have my word. Goodbye for now. Thank you very much to the team, uh, which currently stands as uh, Nathan Wood, uh, Susie Lewis, Charlotte Wakeley, and uh, occasionally, and whenever he wants back in, Moz. So thank you to all of those. The music was by Rob Smouten, and uh, Peter Dobbing continues to be your uh, podcast consultant, and it all happens for the benefit of Brett Goldstein. So uh, thank you, everybody. Follow the socials at Stuart Goldsmith Comedy. I've had a lovely gag there. Start to just maybe go off again, uh, which is about Spotify, and the most fun thing about uh, making jokes from the perspective of a 45-year-old man on social media is that lots of young people get really angry and okay boomer me but i'm not technically a boomer ha stick around for a post amble in just a moment other than that bye bye there we go we went with bye bye there maybe that could maybe that could be my unique sign off bye bye <laughs> um, the thing i didn't talk to you about last time which is remiss of me um was tough mudder now listen this isn't going to be me wanging on trying to convince you all to start doing exercise I don't care about you. I mean, I do, I do care about you, but I care about you enough to know that wanging on about telling you to do exercise is not going to work. This is a parallel journey uh, to me learning about not wanging on telling people to do better with the climate. Don't worry. I'm trying, going to try not to be smug. I'm going to try not to get under people's skin by um, uh, by what did I by, by just kind of it's so easy to be too much. God, I had, a, I had a chat with my mum and my brother recently and I was telling them both about my ADHD diagnosis and um, uh, they had some questions and, uh, and I was sort of proving it to my brother by going, well, you know, well, you know how I'm a bit much? And he was like, yeah. I was like, well, there we go. <laughs> I don't know if that counts. That's not that's not proof. That's just social proof elements. Um, but anyway, the point is. I just wanted to thank everyone on my amazing Tough Mudder team. Tough Mudder, for those of you that don't know, is a, um, well, it bills itself as a sort of terrifying quasi-military uh, force march through mud and horrendous uh, kind of obstacles. But really what it is, it's a bit like um, 
It's a bit like Torture Garden, if you've ever been there. It's sort of the the entry-level mass appeal version of the thing that it purports to be. Uh, see also uh, Links Africa and the magazine Just 17. But um, uh, So what it is, really, is a fun obstacle course. You do get very muddy, and uh, if you don't fancy any of the obstacles, you could walk around them. But we did them all! And uh, it, it was so fun. It was We did the 5K one. It took about two hours, because most of it, you're not running 5K, you're running 500 metres and then stopping and scratching your head and looking at a weird tower thing and going, how the hell are we going to get up there? It's so fun, and it's uh, particularly because of the people you're with. And I was with uh, Anya Magliano, I was with Stuart Laws, um, with Chaparet Corsandi, Jessica Foster Q, Esther Minito, um, and I can't have forgotten anyone. That's everyone, right? Oh, God, I'm going to have to check the WhatsApp group now. I'm, I'm sure that's everyone, but I'm so mortally afraid of forgetting anyone. Come on, here we go. Uh, oh, and Ivo, of course. I mean, bloody ran the, whole, ran the whole way with Ivo Graham as he kept getting stopped and recognised from Taskmaster. Great joy. Um, so that was the team, and it was just a really, really fun uh, bunch of people. You... Like, I just recommend doing this to anyone. Do it for charity in, in strict defiance of my stand-up material from eight years ago. Um, but it was, a, it was a really, really fun thing, and I would really recommend it. I had been put off by the kind of branding of it. But like so many things that appear to be exclusive and beyond you, see also surfing and golf. Once you do them, you go, oh, it's just this. You learn the rules, you accept your crap at it because you're new, and you just do the thing, and then it turns out to basically be... The reason I've chosen surfing and golf is because both of those sports are a nice chat. Kind of with... <laughs> you know, if you do them with someone, they're basically a nice chat with occasional moments of excitement or, or uh, sort of drowning. But... Um, but the, the key thing about them, the reason why they're fun to do is because you just get to bob around having a bit of a natter. And it, that's kind of my best bit about this. I have to say, as well, I'm not, um, I'm not going to be disingenuous about this. I was pretty good at it. And it was, it's almost the only, other than the 10K last year. Look, if you're not an exercise person, if you're offended by it, you'll have switched off by now. So I'm just going to be upfront about this. The 10K last year and then the Tough Mudder were the only opportunities I've had to sort of test the fact that I'm quite fit now compared to how I was against a thing. So I've been quietly, I always remember that there's a thing Henry Rollins said when he got into weightlifting when he was at school or he was at the college or something and his, his power lifting, I'm not using the wrong terms, um, the guy who was teaching him how to do it said, you're not allowed to look at yourself in the mirror for three months. And so he just kind of didn't look at himself in the mirror. And then of course, three months is long enough that your body's physically changed shape. And then you have this enormous boost. I feel like I've had an equivalent experience because I'm not going racing. I'm not a will to win person. I never time myself. I don't, I don't even use the bloody, what was it, map my run or Strava or whatever. I don't use it anymore. I often don't take my watch with me. I just run my little loop and I'm like, there you go, I've run. And um, as a result, uh, I hadn't tested it against anything. So enormous excitement when the uh, when the, the 10K thing was good. Um and uh, when when that, when that came good, when that was fun. But this, there were three or four things that I that I I looked at it and I thought, like you know, a really tall wall that you've got to throw yourself out and just get up it on your own. And I managed to do it on my own without any help. And the first time I did one of them, I just kind of, it was just one of those. Um, what's your man's name? Scott Pilgrim when he pulls forth from himself the sword of whatever it is. I was like, oh my god, I can actually do this. And then I was like, the yeah, ready Brett guy running around the place. That's a 45-year-old reference if you've heard one. Um, so 
I really recommend them. And I'm so grateful. I would never have said yes to doing the thing where I'm not so excited to have been asked. I've been selected for a team of cool friends. It was I could have I literally rolled on the ground like a puppy. Um, so I'm very, very grateful to uh, the team for their support. And uh, and also it's just such a really nice vibe. And if I'm allowed and if enough of you ask for it, and maybe I'll do it as a reward for something, I can't believe I haven't already done this. I could post the very short video of me apparently misguidedly treating the last minute, uh, the last part of the Tough Mudder, which was a sort of electrifying you through little wires thing, treating it apparently incorrectly as a sort of Catherine Zeta-Jones in entrapment style laser maze. I legged legged it through it like a little balletic crab and didn't get zapped. And then everyone else charged straight into it and got zapped loads. Um, I think Manita actually almost got... I mean, she slammed forwards into a puddle, uh, you know, for which I have nothing but respect and admiration. Uh, Apologies there for the the rival tone in my voice. But... um, I just thought it was funny that I, and I regret it because everyone else got zapped and I'd quite like to have been zapped. But I just thought, well, I mean, there's, there's no rules here that say you have to not try to get zapped. And I was, I was just pretty limber, guys. And I zeted my way through it and uh, very happy about it, too. So anyway, that's a little blurb about that. I highly recommend it. Thanks once again to Lucy. Bye for now. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 